Okay, good evening everyone. Broadcasting live September 10th, 2015. Today I'm joined by Robin Esposito as usual and not so usual. Aruna, what's your last name? Uh, Leane. Uh -oh. Okay. Uh, Your sound is not so clear, but I got the. Uh, uh, Leonid? No. Leonid? Okay. Leonid. Leonid. Yeah. Aruna Siri. Leonid. Aruna Siri, right. Aruna Siri and Robin. Last name's not so important. I don't have a last name. My last name now is Biku. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. And yes, almost everyone is green. Those of you who are orange, you know who you are. For those of you following on YouTube, you have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, this, uh, this group is actually centered not on YouTube, but on our meditation group webpage meditation.sirimangalo.org and that's where we're all hanging out. Uh, that's where the questions are being asked, that's where we're reading from. But we are broadcasting on YouTube because it's a wide audience and because it'll get recorded on YouTube and then people can watch later. But if you're wondering why we're ignoring your questions on YouTube, because you're asking in the wrong place. You have to come to our meditation group. Ideally, you have to meditate with us. And after you do meditation, then at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, every day almost, uh, you can ask questions. First, at 9 o'clock, we look at a quote. So, let's see, we have two paragraphs. Maybe, Robin, can you do the first stanza and then Aruna? You, I guess you don't have the second. I'll do the second stand because uh, it won't be on your phone. Okay. Mm. One should not blame another or despise anyone for any reason anywhere. Do not wish pain upon another out of either anger or rivalry. Just as a mother protects her only child, even at the risk of her own life, even so cultivate unbounded love towards all beings in the world. Does anyone know where this quote is from? Well, it says SN149-150, but that's probably cheating. No, you have to give me the sutta name. What's the sutta name? Oh. Of course, if you have the DPR, it probably closed. Click If you open this, click on the citation, It'll give you the title in the top right. The sutta, Aruna can tell us the sutta if I start chanting it. It's the beginning, that's the first stanza. Of course, this quote starts somewhere near the middle. Naparo parang nikubeta nati manyeta katachinang kanchi. Sri Lankan say kanchi, in Thailand we say kinchi. 
ตัตติมังอัตติมังมาทายทานิยังปุตตังอายุสาเอกปุตตมนุรักขีเอวัมปิสัพพุเตสุมานสัมภาวะเยอปริมานังอุดังโดจิติรัญจะอสัมบาด
along with those who you don't even ever you don't ever normally think about. It's a simple but poetic quote. It's part of the Metta Sutta. And this not the Sanyutta Nikaya, it's the Sutta Nipata. The S with a small N means, I mean, there's many ways of writing it, but S with a small N generally refers to what is called the Sutta Nipata, which is a group of the Kudaka Nikaya. Sutta Nipata is pretty awesome. It's got lots of, uh, it's, it's verses, entirely verses, but it tells a lot of stories. It's got the questions of the 16 these 16 disciples, 16 Brahmins who came to see the Buddha. And they all had these very difficult questions. And so the questions and answers are recorded, I think, at the very end of the Sutta Nipata. And it's, uh, con it's considered an important part of uh, Buddhist doctrine. Uh, it's where I got the name Mogaraja from, if any of you know the, the story of Mogaraja. I mean, our Mogaraja, when I was in Winnipeg, we ordained a novice, uh, and I named him Mogaraja, and it caused quite an up, a stir in the Sri Lankan community because they said, Moga, Moga, that's a very bad word. Moga means useless or stupid or something. And I said, well, you're insulting this very important Buddhist figure, Mogaraja. Sunya, sun, sunyang lo, uh, how does it go? Sunya to loko awekasa moga raja sadasato. Tang sunya to. It's been a long week. I keep complaining about it being a long day, but when the days add up, it becomes a long week. I think I must have lost like five pounds this week, which I can't really afford to lose. Uh, we've had a lot going on. What happened today? Today, today I had a fiasco trying to get um, something called an eye clicker, but one kind one of the kind members of our Buddhism Association exec uh, went to the bookstore for me and purchased it on my behalf. So now I have to get the or get our organization to reimburse him. And then I didn't end up actually needing it. Well, we used it in class, but it didn't count for marks, so I wasn't docked for it. I wouldn't have been docked for not having it. It's all a bit confusing, but you got this thing that lets you answer questions A, B, C, or D. We push the button. Technology. Uh, but there was something else. Oh, um, I had a visitor this afternoon. I guess it's my first real consult at the new monastery. Someone came, a Sri Lankan man from, uh, from Toronto. And he got us water bottles. He went and bought two big uh, things of water. So now we have drinking water. And he got me a gift card for Tim Hortons as well. But it's one thing after another, really. 
it's been quite the eventful week. After he left, and I took a rest, and got a call from uh, the head monk in Stony Creek. <laughs> he wanted me to go to his class. He has an evening class at McMaster. I'm going back to school, so he decided he would go back to school as well. So he's taking an evening class tonight. Uh, he's finished in political science. He wants to because you have to understand his background. He he grew up in South what is now South Vietnam, but he's Cambodian, and so he's watched his country or his his homeland being turned being Vietnamized and turned into a communist state and having his culture wiped out. And so politics is very important to him. He'd survived the Khmer Rouge and he he spent time in in he spent time in the Thai refugee camps, which were a real nightmare. I mean, it was all a nightmare, but he's been through a lot. He has a lot of stories to tell. So don't criticize him for taking political science. He's, I mean, you could, but I don't. What he's been through, he's, he's, he's a real force in his community, and he's doing good things for them, I think. Maybe he's a little too worldly, but... Anyway, he wanted me to go to his class with him. <laughs> Called me up and said, can, can you come to my class with me? I said, I'm not going to your class. Like as though I was going to sit through it with him and hold his hand or something. I mean, he was, he was scared. Nervous. Nervous to be going back to school. So I said, look, I'll go with you to your class, but then I'm coming back. I had to go. He picked me up here and he drove me. And we walked through the campus to find his class. And then I took him there and I said, bye-bye. <laughs> but he wouldn't stay. He came out of the classroom for me. Finally, he did stay for his class, and I went home. Anyway, point being, it's been a long week. I've been quite busy. Tomorrow, tomorrow morning, Meghna is coming to visit, which is very awesome. She said she'll bring breakfast. Uh, no, I missed one thing. Aruna is here, so that guy you see in the bottom corner of the screen, the handsome-looking fellow, uh, is Aruna Siri. He's here. He's downstairs. I'm upstairs, and he's downstairs. So, and we haven't talked because of how busy it's been, but I think he's staying for a while. So, we'll probably get to see more of him, and that's a big deal because he can cut the lawn. <laughs> you can cut the grass, right? I can't cut the grass. Not allowed. Uh, among other things, just be great to have someone else around the house. But tomorrow, Magna is coming, and then I have another class. But after the class, um, at 3 p.m., I'm being interviewed, co-interviewed, by the campus newsletter. They've decided to uh, interview me and the, and the head they, they t talk to the head of the society, but he's he's not even Buddhist. So the, our head of the the head of the McMaster Buddhism Association doesn't even identify himself as Buddhist. The vice president also, I think, I'm not sure. I don't think any of them actually identify as Buddhists, but it's cool. It's a Buddhism society, not a Buddhist society. You don't have to be Buddhist. Uh, but so he thought I would make a better interview candidate, and I said, well, what if we both do the interview? And so he got back to the person, and sure enough, that's a good thing. 
and we'll be doing an interview. So if you subscribe to the McMaster campus paper, you'll see us. Otherwise, maybe I'll bring it back and brag about it. Show it to all. Show it to you all. And then back to Stony Creek tomorrow. I'm going back to Stony Creek for the weekend. I'm not sure if Arona will stay here. Probably he has things to do. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Once we have a chance. Comments. Got a good community. Active community. Oatmeal is good because it's slow-burning carbs. Don't I know it? Oatmeal is the breakfast of champions. And they know me at Tim Hortons. Today, when I went into Tim Hortons, they actually started... She said, oh, you, you start ringing him up. I'll start making his oatmeal. <laughs> like before I even asked for it. No, we're not changing the colors. Well, I don't know. It's a bit psychological, I suppose. The funny, um, our app recognizes it like the the commitments they change colors from red if you're not keeping the commitment to all the way to green it's a uh, uh, what do you call spectrum from red to green that took some figuring out how to get from red all the way to green uh, but then one of the our coders complained he said why are you using colors I'm colorblind and 10% of people are apparently colorblind 10% of people can't tell the difference between red and green. Apparently it's like maybe 5%, maybe it's not 10. That's a high number. So 10% of the people watching think that your wall is green, perhaps. The other 90%. understand, right? Because red and green are very different to those of us who can see color. Yeah. Any questions? We have a question here. We do. Me. Why are you not allowed to cut the grass? Here in Cambodia, I see many Buddhist monks helping out around the temples, even doing building work and sweeping the grounds. Are you really in Cambodia right now? That's impressive. Need if we got someone from Cambodia. Um. And there's lots of things we can do. We can, yes, do building work. Yes, sweep the grounds. We can do lots of helping out at the temple. I mean, I tend to do less helping out because I teach a lot, so I tend to let other people do it. It makes more sense for me not to, because then when I come to teach, I'm worn out otherwise, even physically. But uh, absolutely, we can do all those things. We can't kill plants not allowed. Not like it's unethical, it's just... I think part of it is not to get too... not to get involved with farming, for example. Farming is a big problem because, you know, it becomes an obsession. You get pulled away from your meditation. Farming is a big no-no. Uh, and so digging in the earth is also not allowed. These two things. I think that's one reason. But another reason is it's... Um, well, that's considered environmental damage, potentially damaging. Digging in the earth has the potential to harm 
the living beings living in the earth. Uh, killing plants. The 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 origin origin story was that it made an angel upset. A bit convoluted origin story. It's almost as though the angel thought of the tree as its child, but that's not what the story apparently literally says. But it seems like it's something somehow got lost, like it changed over time. If you read the story, it sounds very much like it's a misunderstanding of what was ori the original story, and it was actually that the angel thought of the tree as its child. And so the angel was very upset when this monk cut a tree down. The angel was living in the tree. So you could extrapolate from that and say it's just environmental damage and it's not really a... It's frowned upon in, by the world or by people who are sensitive to the environment. And so as a general rule. But, you know, I mean, cutting grass, grass obviously not. It's just... Um, Something about things that we have to not get out of thing. You ready for another question, Pante? Yeah. Okay. Well, if someone in Phnom Penh, that's that's great. Yeah. Is there much benefit in terms of progress and insight in meditating for longer stretches at a time? For example, alternating one and a half hours of walking and sitting meditation rather than one hour sitting and walking? And assuming that the total number of meditation, assuming the total number of meditation hours is the same, we don't normally recommend doing more than an hour of each. Uh, I mentioned this recently. Uh, it's good to change up. It's good to move from walking to sitting, back and forth. So if you do longer than an hour, sometimes it's useful. Sometimes, uh, but, but mostly it's uh, not exactly discouraged, but it's considered less beneficial than switching because you get to change your condition. It's easier to break, to, to break out of a rut. It's easier to fall into a rut if you do longer walking or sitting sessions. It's not to say it's wrong, it's just convention is that we switch back and forth and one hour at a time seems to be a fairly good length. You mentioned it a bit, but could you please clarify? Loving kindness seems to advocate wanting all beings to be happy or not have suffering. Why aren't these considered attachment f attachment for others' happiness or aversion to others' suffering? Yeah, I mean, they, they can become that. But it's more like your reaction to people. If your reaction is friendly, or if your attitude towards people is friendly, then uh, it's not about wanting. You know? We say you want people to be happy. It's not exactly that. It's just a friendliness. So metta is a mind state that arises. And uh, it's this state of, of friendliness towards them. But it can become, if it becomes an attachment in the sense that you're partial towards their well-being, in the sense of if, if they're not well, you suffer, then that's not metta anymore. That's attachment. Metta is just the friendliness, really. Is astral projection necessary to reach nibbana? No. 
If mothers have an ability to love self selflessly, as in today's quote, do men have to work harder at this kind of love? How should we go about it? I'm saying I don't think mothers do uh, love selfishly. The quote isn't isn't doctrine, you know, it's poetry giving you an example because the mother is stereotypically known for her concern for her children, whereas fathers are stereotypically not as concerned for their children. It doesn't mean that men can't love as much as women. I don't know what the state is. I mean, obviously, it's it's dependent on the individual. But you shouldn't take these kind of teachings as canonical, you know, doctrine, dogma. It's poetry. It's meant to evoke uh, emotion and imagery and that kind of thing. Imagination. Does Sri Mangalo mean anything, or is it just a name? It's just a name. It's my teacher's name. I posted a picture of him, shared a picture of him, walking meditation. He's going to be 92 in 11 days. And on, in 10 days, we're having the official opening of this monastery for his birthday. I don't. Did I mention that yet? I just called... Uh, called a woman in who lives in the city in the town where my teacher lives, and I asked her, meaning to do it for a while, trying to figure out how to get in touch. I asked her to if she could help let my teacher know that we're having this opening, that we're starting up a new monastery and we're having this opening on for, for his birthday. And she said on the fifteenth she'll go and pay respect to him and and let him know. So that's. Great. Good to have people all over the world who can who can connect with. Should I do more sitting meditation than walking meditation in the morning for the purpose of energizing and more walking than sitting during the evening in order to help relax? I don't know that walking meditation necessarily helps you relax. I would say Walking meditation can help you gain energy, actually. It's a bit curious that you think the opposite, because walking meditation is generally understood to cultivate energy, whereas sitting meditation is the kind of thing that would put you to sleep. If you're doing sitting in the morning, you're more likely to fall asleep. This is the thinking. I mean, it's not always the case. You have to do what's comfortable for you. If you don't have the energy yet to do walking, that's one thing, but it's for that reason useful because it pushes you to cultivate energy but I mean you kind of have to be you have to be flexible and, and adapt to your situation without um, playing into it you know like letting it dictate so you're tired therefore you're too lazy to do walking meditation so whenever I'm tired I won't do walking meditation it's not a very good strategy or whenever I'm too distracted, I won't do sitting meditation. I mean, sitting meditation is for the purpose of dealing with distraction, overcoming it. Is it possible that the app doesn't reset the color by change of day, but after certain times after meditating? I can't remember, but I think it's three hours, as Simon says. I think if you haven't meditated in three hours, you lose the green. <laughs> Digital rewards. 
Can, can drinking a gallon of water a day help mindfulness? Water is generally useful, I find. I mean, it's um, it's easy to for your um, the chemicals to become concentrated in the body. Uh, so I find that uh, water helps to sort of calm things down. So yeah, drinking more water than you might normally drink, I think, can be functionally useful to, to keep your emotions from getting too powerful, and, um, keeping your getting, helping with your general state of peace. I mean, it's physical, but it makes your your states easier to deal with with more water. I find. I've recommended that to people. It seems that it's preferable to have a neutral reaction towards mental states, but a friendly reaction towards beings. Why is this different? You're talking about two different things. Metta is not insight. It's not the path that leads to Nibbana. It's a protective meditation that's most useful. See, he's got a thing with loving-kindness, this guy who, who did this book. I mean, he's still alive, so I don't mean to criticize him. It's an awesome, it's a great book, but like many people, he's pushing the loving-kindness thing, and loving-kindness is a small part of the Buddhist teaching. It's useful, most especially for people who have anger issues, because it protects them from the anger. But it's not the path. We're, we're neutral towards all things, beings included, when we practice vipassana. But in order to help us practice vipassana, and keep us from getting frustrated and angry. Friendliness is a good balance, a good way to cure that. Do you find that the ten fetter Theravada model of enlightenment is accurate in describing arahanship? If so, do they not experience any emotions such as desire, hatred, confusion, delusion, etc.? So yes and no, they don't. Can developing loving-kindness for the opposite sex help diminish lust or should meditation on the impurities mm -hmm. of the body be the primary method for diminishing lust? Well, they, they argue that developing loving-kindness towards the opposite gender is uh, dangerous because of the closeness of or the close association we have between lust and love. You know, So they recommend no, they say you should never um, focus on someone of the opposite gender. Um, but but that's not to say you should instead replace love with mindfulness of purities of the body. Uh, but if you're talking about diminishing lust, yes, sorry, loving kindness is not for diminishing lust. Loving kindness is for diminishing anger. That's the um, orthodox means. You know, you might find in certain cases. Uh, changing. In fact, I've said this to people as well because I've had lots of students uh, come to me. Not lots, sorry, this is an awful thing to say. From time to time, we all get, teachers will get this because you're in a position of authority, you're charismatic, you're confident, your students will develop feelings for you. It happens um, from time to time. So this has happened and 
I found the, there's different ways of dealing with it, and, and at times I would just shut myself off from the person, but they, then they would disappear. And they may have been a good meditator. Often they are a fairly, you know, they're, they're competent meditators. It's just they can't help it. They're human and they haven't, they aren't able to let go completely. And so they find themselves, <laughs> so I remember I have one, when I was early, when I was in my early days of teaching, there's this one woman who came up to me and she said, she came and stood about two feet away from me and she just said she wanted to talk. I think she asked a little bit about her meditation, but then she said, can monks get married? <laughs> and uh, is that how it started? Yeah, can monks get married? And I said, no. Uh, you know, just quite flat out. And then she said, oh, so do you plan on being a monk forever? <laughs> and I said, yes. And then... I sort of turned around and walked back into my kuti. I don't, and then she left quite soon after that. But what I meant to say is, since I, I've come personally to come to see that there are ways to, you know, talk them through it and explain how great love is, and and that you shouldn't deny feelings of love for each other. And love is a great thing. It's attachment that's the problem. And if you start to show them what's going on in their minds and they can get rid of the attachment, then they lose it. Because attachment is easy, it, it's very strong, but you can shift it, you can break it off when when it's, when it's you can't get what you want. So as long as, as the teacher you are, or as the other person, you are uh, strong about it. Anyway, how it relates to your question is uh, in the transformation that uh, if you have lust towards someone, it is. I would argue that it is possible to look at it, look at that person differently. You know, we talk about seeing women as our sisters, and for women, seeing men as our brothers. Uh, you know, it's not exactly the most important aspect, but the point. You know, having having brotherly love, sisterly love, that kind of thing. You know, because it's. It's, there's a greatness to this uh, this feeling we have towards each other of of you know appreciating others and that greatness you can preserve yes come stay here stay with me that's great so I always tell what I always with women who who are of this I always say of this sort I say uh, you know would you like to become a bhikkhuni <laughs> shave your head and you know that usually scares them away. But it's great, then you can become a bhikkhuni and, and there can be love, but there is no lust or desire, you know. It's about transforming. So I, I would argue sort of along the lines of I think where you're going with that, that uh, there is some benefit there. I mean, ultimately, even mindfulness of loathsomeness will not help you. Ultimately, you need to get to the root and to see the emotion for what it is, and to just in general be mindful, because the more mindful you are, the less lust, the less desire. You'll just look at you know, some, the object of your desire and you'll think, you know, it's just not worth it. <laughs> Why shouldn't we strive to have a positive reaction to all mental states just as we do toward all beings? It's not possible. We're not talking about having a positive we're talking about having friendliness, a state of 
of friendliness. Um, so, yes, you could theoretically have a state of positivity, but just like metta, it doesn't last forever. Metta is impermanent. Positivity is also impermanent. Positivity, on the other hand, is more dangerous because it generally has to do with desire, liking something, which metta is not liking. Metta is different state. Metta is just love. It's not an attachment. Positivity is like, yes, this is good, this is good, and if you cultivate that, there's the potential. I mean, it's, it's basically attachment, and that has a very negative, it has a negative quality, it drags you down. It's like an elastic pull, 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 and eventually it snaps. You know, love is something you can sustain and enter into a uh, trance based on. You can't enter into a trance based on uh, positive thinking. Was there a first animal incarnate, first human incarnate? It had to begin somewhere. Yeah, I mean, apparently we were all angels at one point, and there's a, there's a sort of a rough sketch of how the world evolved based on attachment to the globe, to the earth. So this is beautiful. And so these angels are, you know, spiritual beings or, you know, completely mental beings started to um, orbit around the earth. And, and as they orbited around the earth, their bodies became coarse. And so they became more in tune with this physical manifestation thing, the earth. And eventually they started to uh, receive energy from the earth and, and it got coarser and coarser until eventually they started eating the crust of the earth as it, for energy. And then their bodies became more and more coarse. So it's like a de-evolution process until eventually they were reborn as, I guess, bacteria in the beginning or, you know, these, these single-celled organisms. And, uh, and eventually were, you know, evolved... Uh, into what we are now. Where can you read about that, Bhante? Is that from the Jataka tales or something? or From the Aganya Sutta, I think. Aganya Sutta? The... Too tired to think. Anyone tell us where the Aganya Sutta is? There's two suttas. There's the Aganya Sutta, which is about the past, and then there's the Chakavati Sihanada Sutta which is more about the future. And it talks about Medea, the next Buddha. Thank you. When sick, noting pain works, but nausea is overwhelming. Can you please discuss? Viganikaya, number 27, Aganya Sutta. Oh, thank you. Sorry, question again? When sick, noting pain works, but nausea is overwhelming. Can you please mm. discuss? Great. I'm glad to hear your noting pain is awesome. Um, nausea is overwhelming. You know, if things are just, you can't note them, or you feel like you can't note them, you can always change something, you know, like get up and do walking or lie down or so on. Change your posture. You can have some food or something to cure the nausea or so on. Uh, sometimes you have to change your condition. 
in Thai they say pian arom. Sometimes you have to pian arom. It usually becomes an excuse to go and, and you know do something. Pian arom is is used to talk about you know when you're when you're bored you know or when you're frustrated or stressed. You go and do something enjoyable, but it's used in meditation. You know, changing your posture, changing food, changing your condition in some way. What do you think about the yoga model of enlightenment? They describe it in many ways similar to Buddhism. For example, breaking free of the cycle of birth and death. Hmm. I bet they stole it from Buddhism. And Buddhism was a huge influence on what is now called Hinduism. Hinduism today was influenced by Buddhism, Jainism, I mean shamanism really, the sh they, they would call it the shamans, the shramanas. Buddha was one of the shramanas, uh, Mahavira was one of the shramanas. Those guys who went off into the forest and had really neat things to say, you know, especially the Buddha, the Upanishads. It, it was all sort of the same thing. You know, general generalities are not how you define a religion. I mean, except by painting it with, what do you call it, broad strokes. You know, the fine, the, the devil is in the details. So, once you start letting people talk, then it, it becomes apparent what their view is. But even a lot of Buddhists who have right view still don't understand the practice that leads to Nibbana. You can talk about Nibbana as being the highest, doesn't mean that you know how to get there. So it's important that you actually have a practice that leads you to the goal. And that's the that's really the defining point. Do you think that inanimate objects have consciousness? And do you agree or disagree with Mer Baba's understanding of evolution? that he explains in his book, God Speaks. Okay, first of all, I try to avoid questions uh, that say, do you agree or disagree, or what do you think of something that's not Buddhist? Because I don't think very much about them. I, mean, I don't think about them very much. Probably don't even think about them at all. I don't even know anything about this guy, but that's not really the point. It's because it's not the point of this forum questions. We're trying to keep them based on meditation, if possible. Uh, and the inanimate objects don't have consciousness. But again, not really a meditative question. So let's try and stick to questions towards the meditation. Bhante, I tend to gravitate towards partners that I think I can help in some way. I think it stems from me needing to feel useful. What's going on here and how can I deal with this? What should I be noting? One thing to help people is a good thing. It's called uh, apachayana, I think. Apachayana, is that it? Apachayana maya. It's, it's punya, it's goodness. Don't be afraid of goodness. Ma bhikave bhaita punyanang. Don't be afraid of goodness. Sukha setang bhikave adivachanang yadidang punyani. Um, happiness is another word for this goodness happiness is another word for goodness so don't be afraid of that um, 
You know, that's not really something you have to note. What you have to note is the seeking out partners, because you're not seeking out partners just to help them. Yes, you gravitate towards them. That, that's a sign that you're a good person. You're a person who wants to help others, who is is focused on goodness, focused on benefit, what is a truly benefit. But it also probably means that you have desire and attachment to having a partner. No, not necessarily. People can get married for all sorts of reasons. Have a partner who is truly a partner, someone who helps them face life, and that's functional. But most likely there's also the romantic or sexual attraction, and that's what you should be noting more. That's what's more important to note. Is there a way to make sure you get in contact with the Dhamma in the next life? Be very much in contact with it in this life. The closer contact you are in with the Dhamma in this life, but that means practice. You know, basically means practice. doesn't mean study. It means practice. The more you practice the Dhamma, the closer you'll be to the Dhamma in the future, no question. What advice did Buddha have for Arahants? What did monks do after attaining Arahantship during the Buddha's time? He said, Charata Bhikkhuve, go forth monks and teach the Dhamma that is good in its beginning, good in its middle, and good in its end. But don't go one of you in the, don't go two of you along the same path. This is the advice he gave to the sixty Arahants. When a whole bunch of Arahants assembled, 1,250 of them assembled, he said, this famous not doing evil, cultivating goodness, and purifying one's own mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. He would just call the Ovadapatimoka. It's not really advice to the Arahants. It's more like a gift to them that they could sh share with others. Was the reason for saying don't have two of you go along the same path, was that to spread the Dhamma farther? I think so, yeah. It certainly wasn't the, because they would fight. <laughs> Is it comfortable wearing your robes to class? Um, I think this robe's a bit small, actually. I think I made a mistake in the measurements, and I need to add another... See, they go by 10 centimeters, the increments. So I think I'm halfway between one size and the next. But I, had, I had no idea that those actually had sizes. Well, they measure yeah. them. I mean, you, you, this was custom made anyway, so I probably could have asked for 2.15 meters instead of 2.1 meters. But I think 2.15 would be just about right. And it shrinks because it's cotton, so... Um, it's a bit short, but other than that, it's perfectly comfortable. You know, if you're doing too much physical activity, wearing it like this is quite comfortable, and it rarely comes undone, unless you're doing lots of physical labor, but the way we do wear it out for outside, um, the way the Thai people wear it is quite simple, and falls off easily if you're not vigilant, so it's not as much fun. But there are ways to wear it. The Burmese have a really intricate way of tucking stuff in, and I, I don't know it yet. But that apparently stays on more. What's the hardest part of being a monk in Canada?
candy. I want to say the food because it's the first thing that comes to mind, but it seems to me there's something more difficult. Maybe travel? Probably travel. Visuddhimatta seems to have a lot of meditation information regarding mastering psychic powers. Did the Buddha encourage people to practice them? If so, what category of people did he teach psychic powers? If not, why does the Visuddhimagga contain such in attaining... He doesn't seem to have taught. It's okay. I get the question. Um, uh, right? Or is there more? No, I think that was it. I saw the name down there, but it's a different question. Um... He didn't ever teach the. He, he explained that this was a benefit that comes from the practice. You know, if you practice samatha meditation, you'll gain magical powers. They'll come to you. It's possible. But um, you don't practice them. You gain them. And he did encourage people to gain them. Um, but he was very clear that it's not the path and it's not necessary. You don't need to have magical powers to become enlightened. So it's uh, it's considered it's like um, it's one of the fruits of the holy life. The whole purpose of of talking about them was to show the power of the teaching and to show the benefits of the teaching. To make it clear that this is really a you know a vast, powerful thing. I mean, magical powers are something people can relate to easier than nibbana. So by showing that it leads to magical powers you can see that this isn't something ordinary. That's about it. I mean, it's certainly not It's not discussed or talked about very often. Visuddhimagga does a great job detailing everything in such great uh, intricate detail, but it doesn't mean that you need to practice magical powers. It's considered the benefits of concentration. One of those neat things, but certainly not necessary. And it I mean, Devadatta had magical powers, and look what he did with them. Ruined his life. Pain is the hardest part of sitting. After pain goes away, can't you sit for hours? You could. I would recommend doing walking and sitting more, though. Both. Sometimes I hear people talk about conventional versus ultimate reality, but I read on a forum that the Buddha never made that distinction. Did mm. the Buddha teach this? Good question. Yeah, because the Buddha talked about how uh, you can't find a being. You know, being is is only convention. There's one sutta. I think it's the Mahadukkha Kanda Sutta, but I can't remember. There's a really good sutta that uh, where the Buddha mentions that um, he uses these words I and and uh, and so on, but he understands that they're just conventions. If you don't study the Abhidhamma, you don't really get the difference. But 
the Abhidhamma is where the Buddha is said to have laid down. Now, you know, many of these people on the forums obviously don't don't follow the Abhidhamma or don't believe that it was actually the Buddha's teaching. But even if you don't, I mean, it's quite clear from the Buddha's teaching that there's convention and then there's ultimate reality. I mean, a being, how, you, how often you talk about a being just being made up of the five aggregates or just being made up of body and mind. So the commentaries try to expand upon this and they use the words like paramatasaccha and samutisaccha. But it's, you know, it's so much... It's in what the Buddha taught. Just um, in the Sutta Pitika, which most people take to be the only part that's even remotely um, what the Buddha taught, so they deny the Abhidhamma as being uh, Buddha Vachana. But in the Sutta Pitika, he doesn't talk. He, I mean, the Sutta Pitika is mostly conventional. It's mostly just informal chats. The Abhidhamma that really lays down a, a system of what's real. Is the is the Vinaya um, under that kind of skepticism too, or is that pretty much um, agreed upon to be Buddha? Well, the Vinaya is interesting because it has a commentary in it, and the commentary we don't know whether that's the Buddha's commentary. It seems like definitely not the Buddha's, comment, Buddha's own commentary, but it's hard to tell. Um, the actual stories are also not the Buddha's words. The stories were obviously told by someone else about what happened, but uh, the Buddha's words in the Vinayapitaka, at least as far as laying down the rules, is, I don't know, I can't keep track of what people are suspicious of. I'm not that suspicious. What can be done about reoccurring negative emotions or moods, even as being mindful of them does not dissolve them? I think my brain is shut down. You guys want to answer the rest of the questions? <laughs> I've had enough. Reoccurring negative emotions. Well, be mindful. Note them. They'll come back. They'll go away. Everything changes. Is attaining third and fourth path more difficult than attaining the first and second in general? Path or jhanas? Talking about jhanas? The remaining of the question is, if not, why does the Visuddhimagga contain such information? Okay, enough. Yeah. Any other questions? Well, we'll try to keep them... Try to keep a question based on our meditation technique. Or, you know, Buddhist questions are okay as well, but I prefer that the, I prefer that the reason for asking them is... Um, well, no, this, the questions tonight were not wrong or anything, but... Just a lot of them. It's been a long week. So thank you all for tuning in. It is good to see people here. We thank wish you. you all the best. Thank you. Thank you, Bante. Thank good night, Aruna. Good night, Bante. Yeah. Good night. Good night, everyone.
Good night.